Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to The Lab. This is 538's NBA podcast for April 30th, 2018. My name's Neil Payne. I write about sports for 538. I will be your host. I'm joined in studio by my fellow 538 sports writer, Kyle Wagner. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Neil. Our other usual co-podcaster, Chris Herring, is still away. So we're just going to keep talking playoff basketball. We're going to do a few belated previews for the series that are just getting underway and also break down what we've seen so far, uh, talk about some series that haven't started yet. But first, Kyle, let's do uh, some of our usual quick takes. I guess we really only have one series to do a quick take on. It's the one we previewed at the end of last week, uh, and they've already played game one. That would be the Warriors and the Pelicans. Didn't really look like uh, much of a series in game one at least uh the Warriors rolled by 22 points uh they ran away with it after dropping 41 on New Orleans in the second quarter alone and that was without Steph Curry who should be back for game two uh Kyle uh, is there reason to think that this is going to be a much shorter series potentially than we thought uh initially after that game one route or is it too soon to say do you think uh, I mean, there's a big reason to think that, which is like what happened in game one. Uh, we did a lot of hand-wringing over this series being like, oh, yeah, what, like if Steph misses the first two games, if he misses whatever, looks like he's come back for game two. Um, but even in this first game where the Spurs had a lot of success overloading uh, on Durant and Thompson, um, but they were able to to kind of stay with Draymond. And like, But in this, uh, in this first game, uh, Draymond was in the starting lineup playing center. And, uh, it just looked different. And so, like, the Pelicans, uh, who had been trapping the hell out of, like, CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard, now couldn't do that because, um, you know, the big that was, you know, out there creating off of that was Draymond Green. And Draymond Green had 16, 15, and 11 and looked a lot more like the Draymond that, you know, was winning championships, uh, even hitting some threes, uh, which, uh, was, you know, Nice to see. <laughs> yeah, Draymond in that game was probably uh, the Warriors' best overall player by a pretty good margin. According to NBA Advanced Stats, he did 25% of the positive actions uh, by <laughs> either team while on the court. And keep in mind that that's a number where it adds up to 100 for both teams. So the average player does 10% of the good things while on the court. Uh, Draymond did 25% of those. And then you got 15% from Kevin Durant, uh, 13% from Clay Thompson. And it was kind of off to the races. Uh, uh, at that point. Yeah, the other thing is uh, playoff Rondo was such a big thing coming into this. Rondo did not have himself a good game. Well, he does deny that playoff Rondo is a thing, so... Yeah. Well, the, well, the thing is, I mean, he didn't have a have-to-face defense like he had with... So Draymond switched onto him a bunch of times and uh, kind of played the old Tony Allen defense of just being like, okay, Rondo, if you want to go do this thing... Dare you to uh, shoot it. Let me see it. Otherwise, I'm going to be down here doubling on Anthony Davis. And so, like, it just kind of... Threw the whole thing out of whack. So, like, maybe they can, you know, shake out of that. Like, typically, uh, that kind of defense is either a series-long thing or something that's figured out pretty quick. Uh, so we'll, I think we'll see pretty fast if, you know, they're going to be able to play Rondo like that the whole series. Yeah. And granting that this was kind of a colossal blowout, uh, it's got to be a little concerning for New Orleans that with Anthony Davis on the court, they gave up 127.1 points per 100 possessions. That obviously can't continue, uh, or it's going to be a really short series for the Pelicans. Okay. One more quick take. Uh, let's talk about. What else? The Oklahoma City Thunder, they lost to the Utah Jazz last week, ending their season and ending really this big three experiment potentially that they put together. Kyle, uh, what are your thoughts in the wake of this very odd Thunder season coming to a close? I mean, so the big thing is well, uh, the big thing is what's going to happen with with Paul George, obviously, and he's 
on record as saying, oh, so, uh, I want to play at home. I think everyone does. Um, and like, actually, a lot of players don't. Um, yeah, but- Chris talked about that where the, the ticket demands and all that stuff are, are off the charts when you play at home. Right. But, but, so it's telling that he says that he does. Um, cause that's actually not a given. Uh, but he wants to play at home, but it's not going to be the only factor. Carmelo, on the other hand, uh, during his exit interview and like the interviews, you know, with the press afterward, uh, came in and said, uh, no, uh, like, like, was it like, no, no goddamn wire. So he, he said something. In something, no uncertain terms, he shut down the idea of coming off the bench. He said it's something rude and said the rude thing was that he's not going to come off the bench. Um, that he's already sacrificed a ton, that he has still so much to, to offer the game. And the question is, like, what are the things that, like, Carmelo, like, actually wants to be doing, uh, while playing? And if it's not coming off the bench, then that, like, poses a lot of questions for, like, what this Oklahoma City team is going to look like. And so, yeah, obviously we're not going to know, like, what this team looks like until we know what George is doing. But if Carmelo, uh, one opts out, uh, which everyone which, has assumed. Yeah, like, is, was unthinkable, uh, maybe a month ago. Right. He's not going to recoup that money. But if he just doesn't want to be in Oklahoma, like, being in, like, some diminished role, which, you know, he's a rich, he's a rich guy. If he wants to pay, pay for that, like, sure. Um, but if he opts out, then that is, uh, big kind of blow for this team like maybe not like on an overall like production wise but like they gave up assets for for Carmelo uh, on the assumption that he'd be there for at least two years and that he would play like the roles that you needed him to play yeah and so much of this year was almost like a, a proving ground to convince Paul George to potentially stay to kind of convince that system to be more than just what it was a year ago which was Russell Westbrook and a lot of other guys and you know Russ puts up amazing individual numbers but they just have no chance in the playoffs this was supposed to be the year that they moved past Past that and kind of joined that upper echelon, and it didn't really work out. Well, I mean, it, it worked out in parts to where, for for large stretch of that series, it looked like, oh yeah, where where Russ in the, the past would you know go off the court and we would lose in three minutes by you know nine twelve points. That no longer was happening. In Game Seven, it was Russ and a bunch of guys. Paul George was two for sixteen or whatever that was. Like Carmelo was invisible. Uh, and they just didn't, they, they still didn't have Robertson. So George also said that, like, you know, the Oklahoma City, uh, kind of organization checks a lot of boxes for him or whatever else. Uh, also what should be checking boxes is that, like, he had another bad game in a closeout game where, like, he was kind of, he kind of became known for that in, uh, in Indiana, like, where he would just never hit the last shot, where it was just funny that he had the commercial where he was hitting the last shot. So, I don't know. Like he's got he's got Russ there, where like Russ has just shown him he's going to put up forty six in a game where like you really needed all forty six because Paul wasn't giving you that. It might be this, and this is totally just speculation. Some self knowledge might be there of this was a this was a group effort losing this thing. It's not just you know the Thunder being sorry and I'm going to take my my talent elsewhere. Okay, let's move on to the rest of the second round. Looking forward to the series that we haven't gotten a chance to discuss yet, whether it's a preview or kind of a quasi-preview for ones that have already started. But first, we're going to hear a word from our sponsor. Are you hiring? Every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than just posting your job online and praying for the right people to see it. 
ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you'll find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there, and ZipRecruiter is how you will find them. Businesses of all size trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. And right now, listeners to the lab can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash the lab. That's one word, T-H-E-L-A-B. ZipRecruiter.com slash the lab. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, let's talk about the series that we have not uh, dived deep into yet. And we'll start with a series that is already underway. That's the Rockets and the Jazz. They played game one uh, and Houston won pretty easily 110 to 96. Uh, Kyle, going into the series kind of in the big picture, what were things that you were looking for in terms of the key matchups to watch? And also, how did, uh, did anything change in your mind about those after watching game one? Yeah, I mean, coming in, uh, Rudy Gobert had been the, you know, the dominant defensive player, like, all season, all season, while Capella, uh, was just, like, kind of the driving force, like, that people, you know, basketball nerds talk a lot about Clint Capella, but I think, you We know, love us some Clint Capella. I mean, he's, he's wonderful, like, he's awesome. he does, he does all the things he wants, he, he, you know, shoots a high percentage, he, re- I sound like QB Brown, he shoots a high percentage, <laughs> he, he, yeah, but, but he does, and he also does, you know, the thing that, like, I, um, you know, kind of value a lot, and uh, talked about this season, which is finishing the lobs, which the lobs are such, you know, high percentage shots that, um, specific uh, players just kind of unlock for you, both the ball handler and you, your rim runner. And I love any 6'10 uh, center who will do a Euro step. I just love that. Yes. Uh, and we have a lot of them now. But in game one, uh, he just kind of wiped the floor with Gobert. Like, I mean, the, the Rockets as a whole did, but Gobert didn't even get a, a shot attempt for the first, I mean, I don't know how long of the game. It was, it was really just like stark to see. And, uh, so while we've, talked a lot about you know about the the rockets guards all season and you know all they have all their interchangeable pieces which we'll get to when we get to like why the defense isn't working as much for for the jazz but i mean that team starts with rudy gobert um and like what he can do uh for you and it just it just wasn't close. Yeah, and in fact, Favors and Gobert, who had been really big in the win uh, in the first round over Oklahoma City, were both just terribly outplayed by Capella and Tucker uh, in that kind of front court matchup on Sunday. And that's something that, if that keeps up, it's also going to be a short series uh, for the Jazz. And the other thing was, you know, they were missing Ricky Rubio. He he had played a pretty big role in that win over Oklahoma City. Uh, he sat out Game One with a hamstring injury, and he could miss more than a week. So it's not clear when he'll actually be back in action for this series and I think all of those players around Donovan Mitchell not really playing to the same level that they had in the first round kind of hurt him Uh, his shot quality didn't really change but his shot making was down this is according to second spectrum which looks at based on you know where you shoot from the proximity of defenders, et cetera, how much we think you would make uh, or an average player would make uh, based on your shot selection. Mitchell's shot making was down 10.8 points of effective field goal percentage in this game one relative to what he had done in the first round against Oklahoma City. Yeah, I mean, that goes into, you know, Rubio just not being there to, you know, create those magical Rubio possessions where with, with Rubio passes, 
And like a lot of almost every point guard is going to you know make their teammates shoot a higher percentage when they you know catch and shoot whatever. That's just the nature of the position, the nature of like what the role is. But what Rubio does that's uh, special, and like Chris Paul is good for this too, is there's almost never a gather. Like it's always almost in stride, like right where right where you want it, and that has like just a small effect of not just creating better shots, but creating more shots where you can't like get a shot off if you have to you know come down collect and you know like a big man like thrown out of the post a lot of times there's going to be a longer collect you have to you know reach down to pick it up off the floor you know jump up a little bit and and when you don't have to do that uh so it's not just creating better shots it's just more of them which is like a thing that this jazz team struggles with yeah it's just buys you more time and space which people always talk about as being sort of the key factors and speaking of which i mean james harden is one of the best if not the best at creating that time and space for himself with the with the step back threes uh and so forth and he had himself a game in game one. He opened yet another series with a 40 plus point game and he actually made as many three pointers by himself as the Jazz did as a team in that game, which was not new for him. It's the fifth time this season, uh, that he has hit as many or more threes than his entire opponent combined, uh, in a game this year, according to our friends at ESPN stats and information. And so the Rockets look pretty unstoppable, especially in offense. They're five and zero this season against Utah. Uh, they've won those games by an average score of one fifteen to ninety eight. Uh, not not especially competitive in the season series either. So is this just a bad matchup for the Jazz? I mean, the Jazz are a defensive team. If they do have flaws defensively, it does seem like they kind of slot right into the strengths of Houston, particularly in terms of three pointers. Yeah, they give up a lot of three pointers during the regular season. They've continued to give up a lot during the the postseason, and. During the regular season, that makes a little more sense because most teams aren't stuffed with shooters the way that the Rockets are. Pretty much this roster is set up to where, like, you can't leave anyone alone. And, and so, that's by design. I mean, that's the whole premise of the team. Right. If you're going to spread them out, like, actually just spread out. And so, so yeah, like, it seems like a bad matchup if, like, the Jazz are, you know, helping smartly. During the regular season, opponents shot 36%, uh, a little, little north of 36% um, against them, uh, which is about league average, a little above. But in the playoffs, they're shooting north of 39%, which is, you know, just a few points up. But uh, 39% is a lot, especially if you're giving up a lot of threes. So so what's the counter if you are Utah after looking at this game one and you're kind of breaking down the tape and trying to figure out what do we do? Is it just hoping that Mitchell shoots better in kind of a version of what we talked about in that Oklahoma City series? Because we should say that when you have these big gaps between expected effective field goal percentage and actual effective field goal percentage based on the shot quality that you have, those tend to even out, or in the case of some special players, and I think we're seeing flashes of that level of a special player from Donovan Mitchell, you can actually exceed that with some regularity. Uh, So we wouldn't expect him to shoot 11 points below his kind of usual norm of effective field goal percentage. And that's a big difference. I mean, that's ha- a large part of how you lose as badly as they did in game one. Oh, yeah. I mean, but I would also temper that with we've seen players especially. So I keep coming back to this. Uh, Kevin Love was one of those special players who, like, exceeded, like, his expected um, rates of making shots with Ricky Rubio on the floor. Mm. Even though they weren't always working together. And they work together a little bit more than Mitchell and Rubio do do now. So it's, it's, it's not exactly a one-to-one. But when he left, like the things that Rubio does to the floor, the the ways that he kind of alters just the basic parameters of the defense for you change. And uh, we've talked about like Mitchell, like actually just turns a lot of plays where he's catch he's catching. Like I'm making air quotes. I don't know why when <laughs> audio medium, but 
he is uh like okay he'll just turn a possession into an iso that like wasn't one and like isn't like actually categorized by it like by the by the sorting systems that we use but it's it's an isolation in effect and so that's why a lot of times that he'll look a little less effective on stuff than than he really should but he was still making like like looping swooping layups like just kind of like putting some english on the alley oops like he was making difficult and you know also stylish shots yesterday it just you know kind of wasn't going his way right uh and we should also say that without rubio in there mitchell kind of has to become he has to wear another hat in this offense he has to become an initiator on top of a score they don't really have i mean i guess you could say alex burks has been playing some of that role uh in and and he played well in the first round and and uh wasn't terrible at least yesterday they were uh plus 13 with him on the court but only in 17 minutes uh and so you know you kind of ask even more of this rookie that has been doing so much and kind of playing above his pay grade so far uh, in his career, but it might be too much to ask of him at this stage of his career to also have to set things up. You know, Joe Ingles is is having to kind of play a little bit of an initiator role too. That's sort of none of none of those roles are ideal, and it is kind of amazing how a player like Rubio, who a lot of us sort of wrote off or you know kind of underestimated uh, going into this season, uh, can be so crucial to a team that has looked as good as the Jazz looked uh, this season. Just like his absence alone can kind of take away more than you might expect okay so before we leave this series uh i'll ask you to make a pick it's a little weird we've already seen game one but just for consistency's sake uh what what is your pick in this series officially kyle so so like you would like man and we gotta is, do it we gotta yeah, we, do it you know it's a, it's a, i i think it's contractually obliged that every nba podcast must go through this song and dance we're no different man so so the thing is like you don't want to overreact to game one like that can look drastically different you would assume gobert is not going to have another game like that but that just happened like we, we have like that to go on and that's all we have to go on so i mean it feels like with the, with that as the game one it feels like a five game series but i mean a lot of series last uh last round you know every round Feels like it's like a game one happens and we forget like how a playoff round works. Yeah. So if Utah wins game two, we're just talking about this completely I differently. Know. Yeah, <laughs> it does change things. And they, you know, there's a reason they always say that cliche about, you know, the, the series doesn't really start or you don't really learn anything until one of the teams wins on the road. Uh, but we should also say, I mean, we beat this drum throughout the entire regular season that the Rockets on paper, statistically, by all of the metrics that we traditionally use to gauge a team, are a special team in the same class as, you know, the, the Warriors of a few years ago or, you know, some of the other great teams the 96 bull you know it's it's verging into that territory so maybe it's not even so much about the jazz still as just this is what the rockets are going to do this season and this is a special year for them so i wouldn't be surprised i'll make my pick and i'll say the rockets win in six i wouldn't be surprised though if it was shorter Okay, let's put aside the series that has already started and look ahead to the ones that have yet to play game one, at at least as of this taping on Monday morning. But first, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Style. Some of us have it, some don't. I'm probably in the latter category. But just because a sense of style seems elusive doesn't mean it's impossible to attain. There's no time like the present to discover the style that you never knew you had, and you can, with a little help from our friends at Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix. 
Stitch Fix has reimagined the way we find and buy clothes. They understand that life gets busy, so you just answer some basic questions about your sizes, favorite styles, and budget right from your laptop, smartphone, or tablet, and then your personal stylist springs into action, hand-selecting five brand-new clothing items just for you. Stitch Fix's styling fee is only $25, and it's waived if you keep all five items. Once your items arrive, you try them on, and you only pay for the ones that you keep. If you don't like something, you need another size, just send the items back, no questions asked, and shipping is always free in both directions. Get your fix whenever you want or sign up to receive scheduled shipments. The choice is yours. Hurry to stitchfix.com slash the lab to get started now. That's T-H-E-L-A-B, one word. You can keep all five items in your box and you'll get 25% off your entire purchase. That's stitchfix.com slash the lab. Stitchfix.com slash the lab. And now back to the show. Okay, let's talk about the Eastern Conference semifinals, uh, specifically Toronto and Cleveland. It's going to be the Raptors and the Cavaliers for a third consecutive season after the Cavs held off the Pacers in Sunday's Game 7, advancing to the second round. Uh, this one is really a fascinating slash frustrating matchup to kind of break down or discuss. Uh, the Cavs have won each of the last two playoff matchups. They've won by an eight-game to two margin. Uh, and so on the one hand, you ask, well, why should this year be any different? Uh, Kyle, why should this year be any different if you're the Raptors and looking to kind of get revenge for the past couple of years of playoff losses against the Cavs? Well, for one, the Cavs just went to seven games against the five-seed Pacers, needed three just uh, extraordinary games out of LeBron James to do so. And the supporting cast, although we'll talk about in a second about Game 7, aside from Game 7, has just looked dead. Yeah, well, we should say, uh, to your point about struggling against the Pacers, despite winning that series, the Cavs were outscored by 40 total points in the series, which is actually the worst point differential for a winning team in any playoff series since 1984. So it, it is not like they blew the doors off the five-seed Indiana Pacers, despite having home court in that first series. And that's what's so frustrating. That speaks to the kind of confusion about this team is even when they win, we don't really learn anything about why they might be more dominant than than we would expect based on their regular season numbers, which we've talked about all season as being highly unimpressive by the standards of both maybe a four seed by the standards of a LeBron James team. This we keep giving them the benefit of the doubt based on their track record, and it is solely based on their track record. And nothing about that Pacers series has changed that at all. That you need almost this just magical thinking and this belief that because they have LeBron and and they can be unbeatable in a game seven. I mean, he is the all time NBA leader in points per game in career uh, three two one in career points per game in game sevens. This LeBron is an incredible trump card to be able to play. But how long can they keep? calling on that and how long can we should we keep giving them the benefit of the doubt that they can win that way well it's the sound that everyone's been using of lebron just being like i'm burnt out i just want to go home i'm not thinking about toronto uh which is true i mean lebron uh you know can play you know up over 40 minutes in playoff games he, he was cramping up and like he has a history of cramps um in the playoffs and the yeah finals. think about that finals against san antonio uh-huh. And, like, that's just because of how he's built. Like, if you're just, like, that, if you have that much mass and, like, whatever, like, just, like, body temperature, 
um, just heats up on the inside. Well, it would be unfair for one human to be built like that and that fast and that strong without having some kind of downside to it, right? If he has to play entire games at a time in unair conditioned arenas like the the San Antonio one was, yes, then then he is prone to overheating. To the point about the supporting cast, uh, here's another stat. This is the first time in LeBron's career he has won a series without anyone else on the team scoring 20 points even once. Uh, Kyle Korver came closest twice. But like Kevin Love didn't come close. Kevin Love was five for thirteen or five for fourteen in this in this game seven, uh, and that can't continue to happen, especially against a team like uh, Toronto, where Ananobi is going to be on him like primarily, I would assume. But they have a variety of people they can throw at him if they want to trap him, double him, whatever. And if Corver isn't hitting shots, and like Corver started to hit shots eventually. But there were long stretches of that series where that offense really wasn't working. It's when Corver wasn't hitting shots because he's one of the only players this season who's been like actually giving you the LeBron effect where LeBron, you know, plays LeBron by he'll drive in, be unstoppable on the way to the rim and then kick out. And Corver's usually waiting there and they'll hit a shot. In that series, he wasn't doing that for long stretches and like just the offense didn't work because like he would kick out to Jeff Green in a, for a corner three near the end of, I think, game five. And Jeff Green, it was like the end of the game. You need to take the shot. Like the possession's winding down. Just swings it around just because like they don't have the shooters that they typically have on this team. So, yeah, like they're going to need something to happen. George Hill's back from injury. Um, he's still kind of shaky going into round two. But, but yeah, they need, they need something out of a lot of them. Yeah, and it's really incredible to kind of juxtapose the performance of LeBron's teammates who shot only 39% from the floor collectively in that series against LeBron himself uh, who is just playing out of his mind by necessity but I mean he led the team in scoring, assists rebounds. Uh, it was it was one of the best series if not the best series that LeBron James has ever played in his entire career and we could be talking about the greatest player of all time uh, here when we're saying that and yet at the same time the whole premise of a LeBron James team is like you said having those shooters be able to knock down shots and kind of play off of the gravity that LeBron creates. And in some ways, it was a miracle that they won that series. It really is. And so now you're going up against Toronto, and we should talk about them because, you know, we uh, we got a little flack from Toronto fans uh, for, for not really focusing on them as much during the regular season. They are a much better team this season than they were a year ago, two years ago, when they lost in the playoffs. Uh, and that's also a, another big part of it is the Cavs are worse than they were when they were winning those series. The Raptors are better, uh, and it does seem like it should now finally add up where Toronto is the favorite. In fact, according to the Westgate Las Vegas Superbook, the Raptors are favorites, which is the first time a LeBron James team has been a series underdog against an Eastern Conference opponent since the 2008 Eastern Conference semifinals against the big three Boston Celtics. Uh, so, Kyle, take me through the Raptors. What are you looking for out of them in this series? And uh, do you agree with that? They, they should be favorites, right? Uh, probably pretty substantially, right? I think so. I think we're going to, it's, uh, for me, the bellwether on this team is always Kyle Lowry. Um, I mean, I know that De- DeMar DeRozan's had the big season. DeMar's been great, but especially against the Cavs, they need uh, more than one, uh, more than one creator. And, and Lowry's just been up and down. Lowry's had bad series against this team. And this is a, this is a matchup of all the remaining Eastern teams should be his best matchup. They don't have perimeter defenders who like are, you know, so big and, you know, just going to crush him the, the way that, uh, the way that Washington did, the way that Boston would, the way that Miami would have, the way that, I mean, God knows Philadelphia. And so 
yeah, like he kind of needs to show up in this series and just they they need to just like stop screwing around. like they needed six games against the no account Washington Wizards. <laughs> like I mean the that, cupcake uh, according to you Kyle. Um I mean come on. No, like, it's true. I mean, look, uh the Raptors only outscored Washington by two points per game in that series, despite being about seven points per game better than them during the regular season, according to Basketball Reference's simple rating system. So by any account, the Raptors were not impressive. Maybe they were not as unimpressive as the Cavs were in winning their series against the Pacers, but this is a matchup of two teams that sort of fell short of expectations in round one, and we have to kind of decipher how much of that to read into. Right. And uh, both one seed. So so the Rockets and the and the Raptors here are teams that, like, are look a lot different this season, like one for different reasons. But we wanted to see in round one that, like, okay, you know what, you're you're the one seed now. We'll we'll stop t- doubting you, you know, saying talking all this trash about you. Just do what you're supposed to do. Win in four and five, four or five games, and just shut the door on this thing. And like six games is like close. It's still like it wasn't like an overly competitive series, but. Like, that's not what you're looking for for a team that's, like, trying to, like, put to bed all these whispers of, you know, playoff and whatever. I mean, they were missing Van Vliet for for a bunch of that series. Yeah, and I wanted to talk about that because one of the big things that we spoke about during the regular season about the Raptors' success, but also maybe one of the reasons why to question them for the playoffs, was that they had that bench mob that was able to just run up huge margins while the starters were off the court. They were league-best 8.3 points per 100 possessions better than the opponent when none of their starters were on the floor. They were only minus 2.6 points per 100 possessions under those same circumstances in round one against Washington. And we should say Fred Van Vliet was a big part of that. He missed four games against Washington. He came back by the end of the series. He should be ready for this next series. Is that going to be maybe one of the biggest things to watch is how effective that bench can be now that they're finally whole again and they can kind of run up things against a Cavs team that really does not, for all their many problems, they don't have very much depth either. Yeah, I was going to say, like, God knows the Cavs bench isn't, like, really what you're worried about on that end. So, yeah, I mean, if, if Van Vliet comes, can, you know, play to the level that he played in the regular season, that should help them out a lot. And that should, you know, change the fabric of, you know, how that team looks compared to how they did against Washington. But, but yeah, I, again, just show it to us. Like, let us, let us see, like, you're actually like this team because there, there were times in that series where, what was it? It was game five where DeMar would just, like, shift back into, the DeMar that we've seen in past years and the rest of the team would shift back into the team that we've seen in past years. And so, like, if we're waiting on, like, a big DeLon Wright breakout game for Which them to get up. Which we kind of had uh, late in that, in that Washington series. No, I'm saying, but, like, if, if that's if that's what it's going to take for them instead of, like, Kyle Lowry just, you know, showing up and you, know, you getting that from him and, like, DeMar just, like, giving that to you every game of a series as is now expected of him. Then, then yeah, like there are con- going to continue to be questions about like the consistency of the team or whatever else. So, to answer the question, I'd like to see Kyle Lauer have a good series. Okay, so here's another annoying question: What is your pick for this series, God, Kyle? Um, so here's the thing: uh, the Raptors have home court, so that means Game Six would be in Cleveland. In Cleveland. You don't want to be like LeBron's going to lose a closeout game. If it goes to seven, I don't know how I'm picking against. <laughs> uh, so it's got to be five. If you're going to pick the Raptors. Raptors in five. This is a very non-scientific way to do this, but, um. I, you know what? I, man, I'll, I'll take the bullet too, and I, I'll I say think, Raptors in five because. I think, yeah, Raptors in five, if, if it's got to be the pick that, but if it's, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> again, we should say a, a LeBron team has represented the East in the NBA Finals every single year since 2011. And so, 
that speaks to what I was talking about earlier about the track record, the kind of magical thinking, the belief that this team is going to shed all other evidence about its true quality and because of two things the way they've won in the past and the fact that they have LeBron uh, they'll magically be able to win I just don't this is the year I'm not buying it and we've we would have said that in past years we would have said that but there's a difference between you know last year they struggled in the regular season or they were unimpressive and they ended up just catching fire from word go in the playoffs and they barely lost a single game uh, just tore through the east in the playoffs this year's team needed seven games against the Pacers. This is not even, we don't even have enough evidence after one round to start to give them the benefit of the doubt again, like we would have at the same stage of last year's playoffs. So I think in absence of any real evidence to the contrary, you have to kind of question whether this is going to be the year that it finally ends. All right. So let me build the case such as there is a case to be made. Um, number one is we have Tristan Thompson back online, I guess. He was five for six in game seven. He had like what, 15 points? He was like the X factor if of anyone, uh, especially among LeBron's teammates in that game. He had only played 24 total minutes and scored three total points going into game seven. Shows up with a double double in game seven. Yes, uh, Lebr- LeBron had to lift the, the Jenner curse or whatever, whatever's going around on that. Um, and so, so if Tristan is back in some kind of fundamentally real way, which is, you know, we saw one game of it. Well, who knows? Uh, but if he is, then this is the series for it because we're walking into Valanchunas. We're walking into Ibaka. We're walking into a Toronto team that like likes to play at centers. And so this can go one of two ways. This could be uh, a thing where, um, Toronto has, you know, bodies in there to play their centers against, which a lot of times they get scared out of playing those guys. Um, but also it could just be a thing where, oh yeah, like Valanchunas is now like cleared to play the fourth quarter. Valanchunas is just on the floor against, uh, like Tristan, but like Tristan. Well, you have to have him in yeah. the game if Tristan Thompson is productive and yeah. out there. And so, so it could just be a thing where we have Tristan back online. We have George Hill coming back and George Hill, you know, can hit shots, you know, better than God knows Jeff Green can. Uh, and we have, uh, just kind of the team coming back online, uh, back to life a little bit more than it was in round one. Kevin Love might start shooting better again. He, he hit some shots finally in game seven down the stretch, but like, but yeah, there is, the case is that the Cavs diminished as they have been all season were even further so in, you know, throughout the series, throughout that series. All right, let's put that series down and talk about the other one in the East. Uh, that would be the Boston Celtics against the Philadelphia 76ers. This, uh, this is the rekindling of what was a big rivalry in the 1980s. You had Andrew Tony, the Boston Strangler, Larry Bird, all of those guys. Now we're back for another round. Very different types of teams now. The Celtics, of course, are the better seed. They also have home court, but the Sixers are the betting favorites right now. Kyle, what are you watching for in this matchup? I mean, I want to know how the Celtics are going to get their points, uh, which is, has been the thing for them for a while. Like, uh, Terry Rozier is, you know, having uh, good playoffs. Uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum obviously have been big, but that has been on a lot of, a lot of ISOs, on a lot of, like, well, Jalen's still moving off ball a little bit, but, uh, this is against a team where you have Joel Embiid down in the middle. You have Ben Simmons, all six, ten of them, like, out on the range. Uh, you have, uh, Coving- like, this is, a long team uh, on which like those kind of drives where this has been a Boston team that hasn't been great just driving to the rim on ISOs all season. Um, I want to see how they're going to get points because in a lot of ways this looks like the same matchup or a similar matchup 
um, to the Miami one where there are there is a good defensive team that is full of guys who you know like to drive to the rim or like to you know run off the pick and roll like Dragic uh, was and if that doesn't work then there aren't too many options to go for for the for the, for offense so so I think like yes they're going to struggle to defend Embiid everyone does they're going to struggle to you know keep Simmons out of the paint everyone does but just how this Boston team is going to score is kind of up in the air for me. Yeah, and I'm a little interested in the Horford versus Embiid matchup because that does seem to be maybe the best way Boston can kind of counter uh, against the Sixers. Uh, Horford was probably the best player. I mean, I guess Rozier and Horford were kind of co-best players for Boston in that first-round matchup. Uh, and, you know, Horford has a tendency sometimes to kind of disappear uh, in, in the middle of a playoff series, and they really can't afford that to happen in this series with Embiid. Right. And so, but here's the thing. They're, we're coming off of a series also where like, Dion didn't play in the series. Dion's been out from a huge chunk of the season. So that would have changed that series. Um, and like, so Rozier like might give you a little something different there. Uh, but like Whiteside just totally disappeared in that series. Like he was just erased. And the question then is like, was he just erased by Embiid? Like, I don't think so. Like he was just like, well, he was struggling totally before. Yeah. yeah, he was struggling before Embiid even came back. But but you know, playing against Embiid didn't help. Um, and so Horford has been wonderful all season. He's been keying that defense. Um, he's you even a, wrote a story about how he was the most important player on the Celtics. I think he was. I, I like his off-ball screens and like his incredibly illegal moving, just walking screens <laughs> uh, that just generate so much, so much space for that team. Um, like are important and uh, like and that's something that like if you can open up space uh, for the team, great. But if it's a team like the Sixers that can close down space that you create in a hurry, then that like kind of loses a lot of that value. It's a little more marginal. And so it's a question of like, can, is, are those things that like Horford does to, you know, um, kind of change the, the dimensions of the basketball court on offense and defense? Are those going to matter against a team who, like the Sixers, who are so long and so athletic where they can eat up that space in a hurry, um, that he creates on offense and just kind of create extra space, uh, uh, when the Celtics are on defense? The other thing that kind of jumps out is the Sixers had a really good series in the first round out of their kind of supporting shooters. So J.J. Redick was great, but also Bellinelli, Ilyasova, guys like that. They stepped up. The Celtics are a good three-point defending team, though. Uh, it, it might not be as easy to kind of get those guys going. And, you know... I'm wondering who they're going to throw at Simmons and try to kind of stop him because that does seem to be sort of the interplay that makes the offense work. Is well, I have something crazy for you. Then. Yeah, go for it. Um, talking about Horford, I mean that's a switch that it can work. Like Simmons, Simmons is quick and whatever, but like Horford's been switching onto point guards all season. Yeah, and especially when uh, when Simmons is zero threat to to pull up and shoot, it kind of makes life easier for Horford. Right. And they like they like to play Horford as the power forward, not the center. And so that's a switch where if Boston can arrange that, uh that to me makes as much sense as like, oh, we're just gonna put Marcus on on Simmons and like see what happens. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. But kind of the insane defense that we saw from from Minnesota of just like it's totally fine to leave Taj on an island out here against these two MVP guards. Well like that same switch actually makes some sense where like let's let's see what the power forward can do against ben simmons because like simmons has shown us he's not going to pull up and also like horford has shown us all season 
um, in that switching defense where he, yeah, he can just, he can just check the opposing point guard even when it's, uh, you know, 6'10 Ben Simmons. Yeah. And then we should also say that Simmons, despite not really posing any threat from the outside, has still shown the ability to not just play well, but dominate. Um, and he was the best player easily in that first round series, uh, you know, it was against Miami, but still that was, that was a series that we had sort of questions about going in and Simmons like the rest of the Sixers really acquitted himself well so I don't know what kind of answer they have maybe one is just whether or not they can get it back at the other end from Terry Rozier you mentioned earlier who had been really playing out of his mind kind of doing this like Kyrie light impression uh and and really went off late in that series uh and was one of the big difference makers for them uh is is this something that they're going to continue to have to get out of a guy who has nice player, but probably not the player you want to be counting on to be your leading perimeter scorer uh, in in crucial games uh, throughout the whole playoffs, right? Well, I mean, again, this is a, a drastically diminished team. We have like we haven't done you know, the top of the show mention of Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, who of course you know are out yes. with injury. Of course, they're out with injury. So like, yeah, that's kind of what you got. At well, this Gordon point. Hayward, you know, played basically no role in them getting to the two seed, but Kyrie uh, played a huge role in that. I'm sure, sure. I'm, what I'm saying is like, yeah, ordinarily, yes, you would rather plug in Kyrie into that role and just say, oh, yeah, that's who we're going to roll with. Um, but but yeah, Rozier. Uh, Kind of initiates for himself the best of, of the three who have, you know, been like really on the scoring tear. And so, yeah, like I think that while it's not optimal, that is something that you would like to see. Yeah. And, and you know, it should also be mentioned that they have Marcus Smart in there, one of your favorite players, Kyle. Uh, he is he <laughs> back is. He in just there. Ruins basketball games. Just a, yeah. One of the most mystifying players. Like you look at his numbers. We were talking about this before the show and kind of, it's almost impossible to tell whether Marcus Smart is playing well or poorly from his stats just because he's never going to give you good stats. And yet at the end of the day, his presence, his return in that series against Milwaukee was kind of one of the turning points for Boston to kind of from that point onward play, uh, more to their ability level and end up closing it out oh i mean i mean that's not this isn't like a secret where the the defensive heart of a team like is just going to you know give give a team like a little more energy like a little a little jolt and like yeah marcus is a mystifying player where he's out there just like kind of just banging into guys just like getting up in bodies and like all of a sudden like it's just keying runs where oh yeah like marcus stole the ball and like ran down the floor and like threw some like weird like trailing pass and like oh aaron beans hit a three great all right we're we're back on track yeah uh so that's worth keeping an eye on him especially you know he's another guy that probably could give simmons some fits if if they uh have them match up directly in the series uh okay so let's close things out by doing our picks for this one kyle what do you think uh in in this boston versus philly matchup uh i will take philly in six i think i think they uh like the question like we've talked about it several weeks in a row now the question was like are they you know ready like to wear uh they ha- show that they have few enough weaknesses that they've been like you know, are not going to be exposed by uh whatever uh yeah i think i think they have i think that there's enough missing from this boston team that i'm not sold that they can you know kind of capitalize on whatever is still missing from philly 
Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's Philly in six. Okay, so it, it's going to make for bad radio, but I'm going to agree with you and say Philly in six because of the way that the home court matches up, and uh, the Sixers, of course, would be playing at home in that game six. So boring answer, agreement, but I do think that it it makes the most sense and is borne out by the Vegas odds too. Well, I got something for you for the bottom of the bottom here too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been talking all season about are they the '95 Magic? Yes, uh, love that comparison, right? I have a question. What if they aren't the 95? Remember, they are, but they are also the 2012 Thunder. That's who, a, yeah, that's a good comparison. At the time, too. where like we, so we talked a lot about experience, but like that was a team that just had all raw talent and just kind of athleticism. Where uh, kind of memorably, they were playing against the Spurs, who at the time were just the best team of all time. Basically, uh, like a 22, 25 game winning streak coming into that. Spurs won the first two games. The Thunder then just rocketed them out of that series in the next four where it was just clear that they were just too fast, too big, too strong. And just kind of looking ahead, if we're picking the Cavs in that series, we're picking the Raptors. But still, if you're looking at the Cavs or just kind of any team that just doesn't have – like the Raptors rely on centers, for God's sake, uh, who aren't Joel Embiid. Uh, I don't know. Like this seems like a thing where, yeah, that was an inexperienced team, but that was just – so good so fast they just run to the finals yeah that was one of the all-time great like reversals in a series you could ever imagine uh especially after the spurs had won the first two games uh, of that series just uh it was incredible to watch the thunder turn that around and uh then from there it was on to the finals so yeah i mean we've talked about this i think we talked last week even about like what the ceiling for this philly team is and it might have the most exciting ceiling in fact no not might it definitely has the most exciting ceiling of any team in the eastern conference uh depending depending on how things play out we'll see if they can kind of live up to that ceiling but um it's it's exciting to think about at the very least the other, the, the last thing we should talk about is Markel Fultz only played about 20 minutes in the first game, like about, there's, it's 22, 20, whatever. Um, and. 7.6 minutes per game in three, in three games. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and so we would, uh, we would expect to see a little bit more from him, um, like as they go deeper into the playoffs. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, yeah, based on, uh, the regular season, it's, it, yeah, it's tough to make of how much of a role you know, you want him to be playing, but uh, we, as we saw in some of those games late in the season, he uh, is is more of a, you know, he's a good player to have around uh, if you need it. And the Celtics seem like a team that have so many different kind of perimeter players who can do some things. You know, they're a very balanced team, I guess, that uh, the addition of just any extra kind of players to throw into the mix that have talent uh, could be a good thing for the Sixers. Well, all the young players in this series also just kind of warp expectation to where Jalen Brown last season, it was like a shock that he was getting playoff minutes and p- producing well because that just doesn't happen for a rookie. Then like Jason Tatum this season is just comes in. It's like, oh yeah, Jason Tatum is like going to be playing like he's a fourth year player yeah, I'm already. Instantly one of the, you know, handful of, of best wing players in the league. Yeah. Yeah. Ben Simmons just comes in. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can look a little bit like LeBron. Uh, and a lot of times a lot like LeBron for, for long stretches and Joel Embiid, you know, second year, you know, just MVP level when I'm on the floor. Sure. Um, so we should also temper just be like, okay, Markel is just a rookie yeah. who missed most of the season with whatever the hell he missed it with. And yeah, so like if he's only contributing in spots, 
but looks like okay, competent while doing so. That's not actually a bad result here. Yeah, even if relative to the other his peers, I guess you could call it, um, it's it's looks like he's falling behind. Okay, that'll do it for this week's show. We will come to you again later in the week to discuss all of the playoff things that have happened since. As usual, our podcast producers are Tony Chow and Katie Ferguson. Our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. Keep sending us your feedback and comments at podcast at 538.com. Whatever your favorite podcasting app is, we are also there, whether it's the Listen tab of the ESPN app or on Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe at iTunes.com slash 538. Be sure to review and rate the show wherever you find it. It helps others discover the program. For Kyle and Chris, I'm Neil. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.